Welcome to episode 30. On the show today, I'm joined by John Sumroy, CEO and inventor of MyFold, the grab-and-go booster seat. John saw a gap in the children's market for portable car seats. He set up a crowdfunding campaign, wanting 100k, and ended up raising 3 million of sales. He talks to me about the pros and cons of being an Amazon vendor, along with exploring worldwide markets and distributors. Please enjoy the episode, and thanks for being a fab listener. Support me by subscribing and telling your friends. Welcome to the Johnny Ross Audio Experience. I'm Johnny Ross, founder and digital marketing strategist of Fleet Marketing. Each podcast, I'll be bringing you an expert to inspire you, to give you some great business growth takeaways, and to get you thinking about marketing and the bigger picture of how businesses can improve, adapt, and grow. I look forward to sharing this with you on each podcast. So here we go. Hi, and welcome to another live Q&A. Today, I've got John Sumroy with us. He's uh, CEO and inventor of MyFold, the grab-and-go booster seat. How are you, John? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. Uh, You're joining us uh, live from Israel today. That's right, yes. Yes, you can't Uh, see the sun streaming through the window, though, today, because we've got horrendous rain. Oh no! Well, so, so have we. <laughs> That's all we ever have. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it's great for you to be here. Just to remind people that are watching, we are live on Facebook, we're live on LinkedIn, and uh, we're live on YouTube. We're also uh, welcome listeners. So, if you're listening to us on the podcast, it's brilliant that you're here. Thanks for being here, um, John. You're from uh, Yorkshire. You're from Leeds originally, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a Leeds boy. Uh, still more than half of my life. And and you went to uni, was it in Manchester? That's right, yes. Yeah, so so mm-hmm. what? When did, you, when did you leave the UK? Uh, I left in 95, so that's 25 years ago. I was working for Unilever uh, in London, and uh, they were setting up an office in Israel, and they asked me to be one of the team that went out and actually established Unilever. Uh, in Israel all those years ago. Um, I can't quite believe it's 25 years ago. (laughs) You played a part in in some of the digitalization and and digital side of things for for Unilever early on, or was it it J&J? They parted the same? No, 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 different companies. So I I lived in Leeds until uh, I went to university, studied in Manchester, and then after that, I went down to to live in London. I actually studied pharmacy and I worked as a pharmacist for quite a few years at Boots in London, but I did a career change and started doing marketing for Unilever uh, in the early 90s. And it was even before the internet, uh, I was just very interested in, you know, some weird and wonderful digital things. Um, The first time Unilever ever did digital marketing was Lynx deodorant sponsored part of a virtual nightclub which came on a I was going to say DVD but it was probably a CD um, you know that you put in a computer and uh, you could play games in different rooms of this virtual nightclub and Link's deodorant that I was the brand manager of uh, you know sponsored one of those rooms it was you know quite leading edge at the time. 
Wow. And I mean, it, it's funny you talk about Lynx because Lynx has become the um, the the brand that, you know, for, at Christmas in the UK, everyone talks about have you, you know, getting Lynx for a, for a present. It's just one of those those staple presents uh, that people get at, at Christmas time. Um, it must have been it must have been uh, brilliant to be to have been behind some of that brand. So I have to say I was in my early 20s. And this is a brand that's all about young men and sex. So uh, it's uh, you, you can't you can't really have much more fun than that. You know, when you're going to work every day. Uh, when you mention those, uh, you know, those Christmas packs. Uh, you, one of my first ever jobs, uh, you know, as kind of a trainee, was to put together those those Christmas packs you got with a wash bag and the deodorants and the shower gels and stuff. <laughs> that's great so um just fast forwarding you um and and uh, you've set up uh this business it's my fold it's around the uh booster seats what how did that happen what was the what was the journey into coming up with this idea the journey is long and winding uh it really came just from my own need uh there was uh two and a half years uh, in 2000 through to 2002, I was living in the US in uh, uh, just outside Manhattan, uh, working for uh, a high tech startup that disappeared in the dot com bubble bursting around that time. But when I was living there, I had three little boys. They're now three big boys. Um, in fact, one of them's married and about to have his own little boy, which is some wonderful okay. news. But those three little boys were all yeah, thank you. Uh, it's very, really very exciting news that I've just now put public to the whole world. Um, <laughs> now that I realise it's not just not just you and I chatting here. Um, <laughs> I uh, th these three little boys were always in other people's cars, uh, so we always had car seats in our cars. But when they were they call it in America carpooling. It's the school when you know all the neighbours you know take the kids together to school. There was never enough booster seats in the back of the minivans for all the kids that we were taking. Or my parents, who still live in Leeds, uh, they'd come and visit and they'd have a higher car and we'd have to juggle these booster seats from car to car. And I just thought, you know, could there be something that's really small and compact and portable that the kids could keep in their school bag so that if they ever got in somebody else's car, they, they, they could be protected? And nothing existed, but I, I had an idea of how you could do this, how you could restrain a child in a car differently and uh but life got busy so i didn't actually do anything with that idea until about a decade later and what started as a hobby of me thinking you know maybe there's a way of, of doing this today uh so what is it 20 odd years later from having the idea uh we're a global business we've sold uh, the picture that you can see behind me is uh, two of our car seats in the glove box uh glove compartment of a car and uh, we've sold more than a million of those around the wow. world. It, it's really quite, I, I'm, an, I'm an accidental entrepreneur because I spent most of my career in big companies. But when I started playing with this idea as a hobby, uh, it, uh, it, it took off. I mean, uh, for, for people that are listening and can't see, it's exactly that. There's two sitting in a glove box. So they're, they're very compact, very small. Um, but they obviously do uh, the job as well. 
Um, and, uh, you know, the, I guess there's no question of, about that, seeing that you sold over a million of them. Um, what did, what was the, the process of, of, uh, of, of creating a product? How, how did you find that with regard to, you know, coming up with the idea, but then actually having to find the resource to, to get someone to make it and, and, and test it. And in fact, the testing, I assume must have been a big hurdle as well. So we're talking about child passenger safety and for good reason, it's highly regulated. So, you know, all products have to comply with standards and, and, it, and there are a few different standards around the world. And that was one of the major hurdles um, from, you know, the idea stage to where we are now. It started very gradually. I, I mentioned a moment ago that it started as a hobby and it really was that I, I, I'd had this idea that if um, for all the parents out there who have had children in booster seats, it's really quite simple. If you put a child in a, in a car and fasten an adult seatbelt, it just doesn't fit. It's designed for an adult and children are too small. So the lap belt that's supposed to be on the bones of the hips is always high up on the stomach and the chest strap that you know is supposed to be nicely you know on the clavicle between the neck and the shoulder it tends to rub the kid on the neck or the face and they'll put that seatbelt behind the back all, all of those things you know can actually cause really bad injuries in in a crash and and a regular booster seat is a box it lifts the child up by lifting them up you put the child into the position of the adult so that when you fasten the seatbelt it fits uh, very simple what the problem is these things are big and bulky and to make something compact and portable, what I thought was, could you do it the other way around? So instead of lifting the child up to meet the seatbelt, could you hold the seatbelt down to fit the child? And my idea was, could you have a flat mat with some little belt guides either side of the child's hips so that when you fasten the belt, it'll hold the seatbelt snugly across the top of the thighs against the pelvis and could you have another clip i know some people can't see but you know like pulling the seat belt down onto the shoulder instead of it being up here and i, I the very start was i i made a homemade prototype uh, on a sewing machine it was a black canvas mat i sewed on some mountain climbing clips um and a little tail that uh, had the shoulder clip on and i mean it looked ridiculous but the process was I took it to the crash test center in the UK. Um, it's called TRL, the Transport Research Laboratory down south. And I mean, they were laughing at me, you know, thinking, who's this idiot with a black folding floppy thing that, uh, you know, I was asking to put on a crash test rig, but I had paid my money. So they did the test and to everyone's surprise, it really worked. Um, I mean, now I know a lot more, but it restrained the child in exactly the same way as a big bulky booster seat. And that was the beginning of the journey uh, uh, to, to realize there was some potential in here. And over a, a year or so, I raised some money, which allowed me to quit my job and to pay designers and mechanical engineers and material scientists and regulatory affairs advisors to help bring it to market. You've, you've got a team around you now that uh, I, my understanding is a lot of them are from Yorkshire and, and Lancashire, uh, but it, some of them are based in Israel, Toronto, all over. But you've sort of used that UK uh, talent. Yes, I think because this didn't really start off as an idea to build a business, it was just something I was playing with. I, I just asked the people I knew you know, if they could help me. So 
uh, I, I went to Leeds Grammar School and, you know, one of my friends from Leeds Grammar School is was a boy called Robert Morris. Uh, he lives uh, in Toronto now. His parents still live in Leeds and he's uh, he, he was an accountant and had been CFO in companies. He helped me put together the first business model behind this idea of a folding car seat. And then a few years later, when when we actually were a company and, and I could afford it, uh, I recruited him. Um, and he's been my my partner in this venture since the very beginning, which is uh, which has been wonderful. But the way I have built the company really has been, you know, asking people who I know and I'm friendly with, you know, to come and join me. Uh, some people w wonder for me whether, you know, there's a risk of working with people that you're friendly with. Uh, but it, it's worked really well for me. So uh, our financial controller is uh, is from Manchester. She's married to a Leeds boy, and uh, uh, that, that's how that's how I know her. They live here in Israel, and the marketing, uh, the chief marketing officer of the company um, was somebody that I, I did a gap year between school and university in Israel, and I met him on the program there. And he's been, you know, head of marketing in you know companies all around the world. And I, I, I like the fact that the people I'm working with, you know, are very much uh, part of part of my my network, and we we get on well together. And our, uh, I mean, our office manager is married to another guy that you know I've known for many years, and she brought in a friend of hers who's now our brand manager uh, that she had lived with. They'd lived in Singapore in Shanghai for a while, and, and so it's very incestuous. Everybody kind of brings in the people that they know, but as a team, we work really well together. And I get to do these fun things like talking to you and they're all busy doing the actual work in the background. Well, uh, you, you said it yourself. I mean, yeah. if, if the team, if the team's working well, then, you know, great. So what, so what, how it, how it was formed. I'm, I'm interested in the uh, marketing side. That's my background. Um, what, yeah. uh, what was the, was there an instrumental, uh thing that happened or what was the thing that really that you you can now look back and say this is what got this product going this is these are the things that we did these are the uh this is these are the things that happened that really took us to the tipping point of of actually yeah. we've got some real sales here where would you what would you say those things are timing timing has been uh it, it, very beneficial for us. We're very lucky. If I had tried to do this 20 years ago, I don't think it would have been possible because almost everything, to answer the question you've just asked, has been digital. We, we, we're a digital first company in terms of marketing. We do very little uh, traditional old-fashioned marketing. And uh, opportunities like we launched the original MyFold seat that you can see behind me uh, on an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. So that gave us the opportunity of broadcasting an idea to people, even before we'd finished designing and developing and regulating the product, we'd said, look, here's a really cool idea. If you want it to happen, help us by contributing and pre-ordering. We, 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 we had the most successful crowdfunding campaign ever for a juvenile product. When we launched it, which was the middle of 2015, we had expected to pre-sell around, I always talk in dollars because we're a very US focused business, so around $100,000 uh, $100, uh, of pre-sales is what we had set as our target. 
But uh, by the time the dust settled, we'd pre-sold nearly three million dollars. So it, wow. it's, it put us on a yeah, it put us on a trajectory that actually took it from being you know a nice little idea into a real business. And how did we manage it? Well, we did campaigns, marketing campaigns about the crowdfunding campaign uh, using Google AdWords and Facebook. Uh, interestingly, it was only as Instagram was starting. Now we do, you know, a lot of our marketing is on Instagram and we could do uh, mail shots using email. And a combination of all of these digital marketing tools allowed us to create a lot of buzz around MyFold before the campaign went live. So the day that it went live, which I will never forget, 14th of July, 2015, um, it just went mad. That target that we'd set ourselves of doing $100,000 um, over a couple of months, we did it in a couple of hours. And as I said, it just went on and on. Um, and again, you could never do that in the old days when all of your marketing was, you know, television where the budgets were too high or magazines where uh, the distribution was, you know, much more limited and, and expensive. But because the crowdfunding campaign was so successful, people who we weren't targeting heard about it. And we had people approaching us saying, we'd like to be the distributor of your product in our country. And other people came and said, we love what you're doing. You know, can we invest? And so the, the, the digital and the digital marketing, uh, which is how we've continued to do almost all of our marketing, really is, is, is the way that we created the brand and spread the word, international, the word internationally. It, it might be an obvious answer, but uh, just to, to reaffirm it, really, if you did it again, I assume you'd, you'd go down the crowdfunding route again then? So we we did actually. That's exactly what we did. Um, uh, at the beginning of at the beginning of last year, we launched our second major product. Um, there are you know some people, especially in Europe, that don't like backless car seats. Uh, I won't get into the politics of it. Scientifically, there's almost nothing to substantiate that mindset. But some big competitors of ours have spent uh, decades trying to persuade people that back backless is bad. It's not the case, but what we have done is we've brought out a high back booster seat. So this is one that's got a headrest and side rest. It also folds incredibly small and compact and portable. So if anyone wants to go to our website, myfold.com and check out Highfold, that's our high back booster. We launched that at the beginning of last year, um, unfortunate timing with Corona, but we did a crowdfunding campaign for that six months earlier. Um, we, you know, and had great results and we're working on some new products now that uh, we expect to use with a crowdfunding campaign and it's not because we're looking to raise money uh, i know yeah. people think crowdfunding you must be doing that as a way of getting money for the business but actually we use it as a marketing channel we do it as a way of getting some publicity when people pre-order then you know how many to manufacture on your first production run so there's a few benefits of it and and we love crowdfunding and we love indiegogo if you're watching as indiegogo they've been incredibly supportive and helpful uh with our campaigns to make them a success yeah it does sound like that with the 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 way you've described it with regard to uh it being uh, a marketing channel and um uh, and I can see how you can get that huge reach and buzz. Um, and uh, and I love the idea that, as you said, it actually helps you understand the pre-order and how many you need to manufacture. Yeah. 
it's it's very clever with regard to your sales channels now where 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 are your main uh channels you you also talked about distribution uh wholesale is that a is that become a, a bigger channel um what what what's the sort of uh the spread and and i'm interested in the digital channels and which ones right. are the ones that work for you so in general, we divide the world up into the US and the rest of the world. Uh, the US is our main market. First of all, it's the biggest market for car seats. And uh, it's the one where, where we put, as, as a company, most of our focus. Uh, and in the US, our biggest customer is Amazon.com. So that's all online and digital. We do have our own website, myfold.com, where we sell. But it just turns out that even if we compete with Amazon, if we sell at the same price as Amazon and we offer uh, two-day free delivery, which is what Prime is in the US, I know in the UK it tends to be one day, um, people still prefer to buy on Amazon. So that's our biggest customer. Uh, we also, though, are in brick and mortar. We're in about a thousand Walmart stores, which is you know good old-fashioned retail and a great uh, uh, retail partner to have. But the majority of our business is sold online, about 70%. Is, is is sold um, either on Amazon.com or MyFold.com or Walmart.com or Target.com or Bye Bye Baby, Nordstrom, etc. cetera. Uh, so so it, it, our products are slightly different to traditional booster seats. And so it's a little bit more complicated to explain, bless you, it's a little bit more complicated to explain uh, just by looking at it on the shelf, uh, how it works. And when we sell online, you could, we can do a very rich, uh, communication with the user. We can show lots of photos, lots of videos that you just can't really do uh, at the point of sale in, in a store. In the rest of the world, uh, we have distributors. So these these are companies that not only sell our products, they sell other products. Um, and uh, we, we have less involvement in the day-to-day -day, uh, sales and marketing. Although what we do do is we have you know a rich uh, database of materials that these distributors can use so they can see the materials we've created and they can localize them or customize them for their market. And it's interesting because between in this network, there's about 35 of them covering 50 countries. Uh, they share with us what works best in their markets. And so we learn from them and they learn from us and we share all that knowledge. Again, everything's digital. We keep a, you know, a database of materials in Dropbox and everybody can access it and we can share information really quickly, which when I think back to my early 90s in my 20s at Unilever, uh, there wasn't even email. Um, you know, thing, th th things were much more difficult. Uh, so so uh, digital has helped us create the product, launch it and uh, sell it globally in a really short space of time that, uh, you know, a few years ago just wasn't possible is is there a a pressure from the likes of walmart uh for you to um to to really drive sales and and drive people into store to you know and 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 per, pick that purchase or 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 i'm just wondering how that how those retailers work and whether there's just a lot of pressure also put on you to deliver results for them it, it's absolutely that way i mean they incredibly powerful so uh, and especially because the majority of their business is still physical retail they've got limited shelf space 
uh, it took us a long time to get into Walmart in particular. We got into Amazon uh, a, a lot more quickly because ultimately Amazon is you know infinite in size. So when uh, Amazon approached us uh, after the crowdfunding campaign and once we had launched and they really pushed us to start selling our products there, um, and part I'll come back to Walmart in a second. Part of the part of the challenge there is you know putting it on the shelf is one thing, but getting people to know that it's on Amazon is really our job. So a lot of our marketing is focused on uh, not just making people aware that we exist and what the benefits of our products are, but really driving people to our retail partners um, so that they. Uh, so, so, so that they are looking for us and find us just by making people aware, pe uh, you know, through uh, general advertising, uh, people can go onto Amazon and type what the kind of things they type in a portable car seat or narrow car seat or travel car seat or car seat that's good for grandparents because grandparents like not okay. up the back seat of the car. And, and, and it's our job, uh, you know, to kind of make those people aware that we exist so that they'll go and look for it. But once they've typed it in, then we have to pay Amazon to feature high in those search results um, by doing sponsored ads. Uh, so uh, one of the things, particularly with Amazon, and I know you asked about Walmart, one of the things with Amazon no, yeah. is, is that, um, you know, uh, they we invest a, a significant proportion of our marketing budgets in Amazon, but that's because they are the biggest and the conversion is among the most successful we have. But we also do very similar things with Walmart, firstly, because we want to support them. Uh, you know, they've given us the space on their shelves and, and, and access to their customers on walmart.com. So we also push people either digitally to, um, uh, to, to, to their website, or we do really cool things. So we actually do some geo-targeted advertising you know, if somebody happens to be within a, a one mile radius of one of the Walmart stores that we are in and they are doing a relevant search, then we will come up with uh, links to that Walmart store, which is very much kind of a combination of, you know, the wizardry of new online digital marketing and uh, physical space of old fashioned brick and mortar retail. So so we and we work very well, very well in partnership with all of those um retail customers yeah I, i'm glad you were talking about amazon because i, I wanted to talk about them any, uh, next anyway uh, and yeah. um i was wondering if you had to uh, if if a lot of your marketing spend would go with amazon sponsored uh sponsored results you've said you've said that's the case um mm -hmm. does does what i found with amazon with certain products is that it really can end up driving the price down um, but I guess as the manufacturer of the product, um, you're setting the price in the in the first place anyway, and there's no one else selling your product on Amazon, if that makes sense. Uh, so, uh, so I guess it, 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 what I'm trying to say is Amazon take a big cut. Mm -hmm. Does that cause you a problem because you can set the price in the first place anyway? So then on, on Amazon in the US, we don't set the price. Amazon works in two different ways. You can be a seller, which is really what you're describing. Amazon basically allow you to open your own store on their platform, bring your own customers in and sell your own products at your own price and then deal with all the supply chain and logistics. Um, they also have a model called vendor, 
which is much more closely uh, related to a traditional retailer. And that way they buy product off you, um, keep it in their warehouse themselves and set the pricing. So we are vendors in America on Amazon.com. There are some wonderful benefits of being a vendor. First of all, um, Amazon buys large quantities. We get an order every Monday. You can imagine we're all sitting waiting to see what it is. And as long as we deliver it to their distribution centers um, by the Thursday of the same week, then we get paid 30 days later irrespective of how quickly the stock is selling out on the other side. And that really helps with cash flow. I mean, we are still a small startup in the whole scheme of uh, car seat companies. So anything that helps us with cash flow, we love. But what we give up with that uh, model, being a vendor, is that Amazon uh, hold the right to set the pricing. And one of the good things normally is that uh, Amazon absolutely respects minimum pricing policies. We can't define the pricing of our products. It's up to the retailers to set them themselves. But everybody, it's in everybody's interest not to get into these downward negative spirals of, of price cutting. One of the things Amazon does is they constantly monitor the rest of the market. They do it uh, automatically. And if we suddenly see that, uh, you know, our my full seat is being sold on Amazon at a discount, we know that it's because they've found somebody online selling it at a, at a lower price than they are, and they will automatically match that price and then charge us. So we spend quite a lot of our time, you know, trying to uh, maintain, you know, the correct pricing. I'm just very concerned now that there might be something illegal in what I've just said. We don't fix pricing, but we do reserve the right uh, to, you know, to only supply people that aren't trying to reduce value in the market. No, I think I think all you were saying, my my understanding is all you were saying is that you're not able to stipulate a minimum price, but you you, you yeah. what you try and do is is guide people to say, look, this is the minimum price we expect, uh, and we hope you you keep above that if you can. That's that, that's what I heard. It's a, it's a, it's a, yes, it's 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 in it's in everybody's interest because ultimately, if it's not profitable for us to sell our products, first of all, it means we can't do the marketing uh, because you don't have the money in order to drive people. Uh, to those retail partners uh, and, and ultimately um, although we love what we're doing and we're out here saving lives uh, we are a business and, and we want to be profitable and we want to grow the business and we have shareholders who are looking uh, you know for a return so, so it, it so, all comes down to pricing. So, ba so based on all of that mm -hmm. how easy is it to put your prices up to Amazon? As in the cost price, is that does you know as a as a vendor, is that is it's that a difficult conversation? Is that well, how does that work? So, with Amazon, there are no conversations. We although you can be a much larger business than we are and actually have a real human being to talk to, uh, Amazon is you know is is a web interface. So to actually increase the price is simple. We can go online into the interface and just put a new buying price in. Uh, obviously, their algorithms will decide whether or not they are interested. And invariably, we we aren't looking to increase our prices. We, we, we've we've worked out uh, the right price point for the for the product that you know balances between you know con, you know it, it making consumers excited uh, to fork out their money to buy it. Uh, you know, on the low end and covering the profitability that we're looking for 
on the high end. Uh, the way we do manage pricing is that we now have a range of products. So what you can see behind me is the original MyFold seat that we launched um, in 2016. But now the range has got four different products in it. Um, we have, let me go from the top down, we have, we have a premium one called MyFold Sport, which is a luxurious version. It's based on artisanal craftsmanship of the motorating industry. Um, which I love. It's the dad's favourite because only a dad would spend, you know, 25% more for exactly the same thing just because it looks sporty. But there's a market for that. Uh, we recently introduced um, uh, uh, an all new and improved version of the original MyFold seat, which is at our standard price point. The one you can see behind us, the original one, we've put at a lower price point, And then we have a new entry level product that doesn't actually fold. Um, but it still is the same concept. It's flat. So we've got four price points. And what we find is that by giving people a choice of getting the MyFold experience at different price points means that we get less into this whole issue of uh, discounting and things like that. And so when we do promote, we try and do added value uh, promotion. So if someone's prepared to buy two or three, we'll give them bigger discounts. So if someone wants to do a bundle and get um, a product and, uh, and a carry bag to go with it, then we can create promotional opportunities like that. And and but you've also got to take into account the marketing spend as well, because what you're saying is that on Amazon you've then got the power to uh, do sponsored ads to to basically help Amazon sell more product, which ultimately means mm -hmm. Amazon buying uh, buying more from you. Yeah. Yes, that the whole ecosystem works. Um, I don't want to sound too much like an Amazon fanboy, but they I really. They, they've I love it as a consumer they yeah. they've, they've really they've really created an ecosystem of of opportunities very simple things like you know searching for uh, compact and portable booster seat and you know we can pay for the privilege or we can bid to feature you know more ha uh, higher up the the search results but they also have other campaigns they have they have a, a program called uh, DSP. I don't remember what it stands for, but for example, you, they will they will advertise. Amazon will advertise on other platforms. You know, you could be you know on uh, the Daily Mail website or uh, the Times, and you can see an Amazon ad. But they will feature our products, uh, and so we collaborate on that and obviously contribute to the cost of that. But that's a good way of getting new people in because Amazon's such a trusted brand. Something we did. Um, at the end of last year, for the first time ever, is Amazon has, they call it an OTT uh, television advertising program. So with more and more people switching to streaming, uh, and I, I don't actually know how common or popular it is in the UK, but uh, Amazon's fire uh, streaming devices in, in the US are huge. There's tens of millions of people that are now getting all of their television content over their devices. And many of them are doing it for free because they're prepared to have ad content in that uh, in, in that television content, which is just like good old fashioned ITV and Channel 4, you know, of, of years gone by, which was the only way you could see the content if, if you were prepared to pause every now and then and watch advertising. And you can't skip the advertising. So everything about it is about traditional TV advertising, except they have digitized it. So you and I can be watching the same program at the same time, which again, never happens because 
who watches TV on a schedule these days, but you can be watching the same program at the same time. But when it comes to the ad break, we'll see two completely different adverts. So we can go to Amazon and say, look, we're looking to target uh, parents or other caregivers of children, you know, over the age of four who have been in market for a booster seat and are planning on going on vacation in the next six months, all of which would narrow it down to people that we know are likely to be target market for us and we can show them a TV ad. And it's so much more cost effective because instead of broadcasting the same message to millions of people where only a small percentage of them are relevant, we can cherry pick and only broadcast that ad to a small number of people that meet our criteria, but it's a full screen, rich television experience of emotional video advertising. So we did that. Um, and one of the downsides is you can't, unlike traditional digital advertising, is that, is that a strange thing to say? Traditional digital advertising, where you can track, <laughs> you can track the entire process from the message the people saw to where they go to how they interact and if they buy, and you can see the efficacy of the money that you're spending on the marketing. Television advertising is all about awareness. So although we are broadcasting it, we don't know if those people then go and purchase. But I saw the results last week, actually, of the campaign we did in the second half of December, and the sales of Highfold, the seat that uh, that we were advertising, had a lovely growth um, uh, during and after the campaign. So I don't remember how we got onto that. I think I was talking about the, the, the breadth of opportunities Amazon give us to do marketing. So although you know they are a retailer, um, and they give us the opportunity of selling our products. They're also giving us opportunities of very effective marketing tools. So we're happy to invest our money in Amazon in their marketing. I wanted to uh, I want to expand on that in a second, but I also wanted to go back a step because you were talking about um, selling on Amazon as a seller and being a, a as a vendor on Amazon. The yeah. heart, so just for my own benefit and and for people that are listening and watching, the, the in between is fulfilled by Amazon. Is that right? So you can still you'd yeah. still be a seller, but yeah. fulfilled by Amazon is where you send the products to them. They they ship them. They do the logistics, but but they've not bought yeah. the product as such. You're just using their 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 um, uh, storage. It, it's um, exactly that. Um, Amazon yeah. Amazon can offer you as a seller um, a full um, third party logistics opportunity of warehousing and pick and pack and shipment uh, and and everything. And yet you're still a seller. People can go on to Amazon and they can you know choose a product and they can pay uh, and get all the prime benefits. Um, and not know that actually the the it it is a seller doing fulfilled by Amazon or a seller doing their own logistics. But the way yeah. we work with them is is you know obviously we 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 agree the margin with them that they take, but that margin includes you know everything they do and they deal with it. Um, yeah. And, and and that makes sense. So so I guess if you if you're a manufacturer of a product, the you really want to be in the vendor side of things because that's where the opportunity opens much more. Um, and uh, but 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 as a uh, as a seller, I would highly recommend fulfilled by Amazon because what you tend yeah. to find is products sell more, uh, they get featured more, uh, they've got the prime badge, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Were, were, were you going to disagree with me then, John? Well, so when when we started. Um, the vendor was the obvious way to go. 
the main benefit being Amazon buys large quantities of product and pays very regularly. But th there are some negatives to it. We we are now um, for the first time starting to deal with some markets ourselves outside of the US um, with Amazon. So we just set up on Amazon in Spain, where we had never we haven't had our products available in Spain, and we've just um, as of yesterday actually uh, set up uh, Amazon in Japan for Highfold, our second seat, and there we're doing it as sellers. So uh, we are, we're doing fulfilled by Amazon as sellers. So it's very much an, an Amazon experience. But uh, we are more interested in the extra control and flexibility we have by being the seller rather than a vendor. Um, Interesting. I, I think it, it, we, we aren't opposed even to transitioning in the US, but the model works so well and it's the engine of our revenue and our growth. Uh, if it's not broke, don't uh, fix it. But as as we roll out internationally, we're very much looking to, uh, to to do a seller model in the rest of the world. We've talked a lot about the US and 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 globally. We haven't talked about the UK. What's the deal with Amazon UK? We have a wonderful distributor based in London, a company called White Step. They um, they they have other juvenile products, which was the reason why they were they were a good partner for us to work with. They. Uh, sell directly from their own site. They sell on Amazon.co.uk. Uh, our products are available in John Lewis, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Argos as well. Uh, or if it's not yet in Argos, then I've just leaked some be. other confidential information. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, you know, I'm I, I love the UK. I spent half my life there, and most of my family still live there. But for us, uh, as as a business, it's uh, it's a small market, uh, yeah. and when when we were small and setting up, we had to prioritize and put our efforts and focus on big markets. Um, and now we have these wonderful partners that it, it's it's just very good leaving our business with them. Yeah, that makes makes sense. The um, so just going back to the uh, marketing spend, you were talking about the opportunities with Amazon OTT, etc. Am I right to then assume that the majority of your marketing spend uh, is focused on driving traffic to Amazon? Um, when we look at the entire line on our PNL that. Is marketing. It, it covers quite a lot of things. If we do, we, we have shelf displays with video monitors in those Walmart start stores. Um, so that's quite uh, a significant uh, marketing expense that we're investing in Walmart. We do um, a lot of uh, Facebook and Instagram uh, marketing, and we change where you know anybody clicking would be sent between our own website and amazon or all those other retailers so i think amazon probably gets the larger proportion of you know of, of any other retailer just because our sales through amazon are larger than through the other retailers but um it's not it's not an all or nothing you know we we do try uh, and 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 be as broad as possible. And we do a lot more investing in things like um, online influencers, uh, traditional PR, which we invested quite a lot of money in PR in the early years. We don't do that as much now because 
the best way to get into the hearts and minds of our target market is often through the influencers that they follow and respect. And, uh, you know, it, it, simply by sending people products for them to test and use with their children, uh, we've got some amazing um, uh, coverage because, you know, once people know about our product, they tend to love it. We really answer uh, an unmet need of what do you do when you're in somebody else's car with a child? Um, and so we found that, you know, investing time and effort and some money, it's not particularly expensive, in influencer marketing has been effective for us. I, I, I also think, uh, and, and this is quite relevant to the UK, m m very relevant in the US and not relevant at all in Israel. That's, uh, I always have to remember. Uh, th there, is a, there is an absolute transition going on in personal transportation. It used to be that everybody bought their own car and used it and sold it or, you know, or upgraded. Uh, more and more, and especially millennials, are choosing not to own cars and just use cars and the right car for what they're looking for. So um, car ownership in the US has declined every year, as, as a percentage of households has declined every year for the last few years in the US because people are choosing to just do Uber or just do Lyft or just do Zipcar um, which is a car sharing program, and there are apps like Turo, which is basically Airbnb for cars. You know, I was I was out in LA uh, not last summer, the one before, and we wanted um, a Tesla uh, S S X, the one with the X wing, anyway, um, for a photo shoot. And we just went on the Turo app, and some guy brought his car around, and we had it for the day, and he got paid, you know, over the app. If you don't own your car. Where do you leave your car seats? You, you, what do you do when you get where you're going if you've Ubered to the cinema or to a bowling alley or to a football match? What, what do you do with the car seat? Well, what parents do is they don't. They cut corners. They take a risk. They hope their kid will be okay. And so although when I came up with the idea for my fold, it was all about the school running grandparents and going on holiday, all of that's still relevant. But actually what we're finding is there is a mass of, uh, of, of parents who don't own cars and therefore they want something that's easy to carry with them from car to car and not something that they have to leave in the car. So we're finding that, uh, you know, that, that's, that's another marketing message to talk about. So we don't just talk about going on holidays anymore, which was, you know, a big part of what we did before corona because no one's going on holidays now but um you know we 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 definitely target and market to people that are uh that, that don't own cars um and and i think that trend is going to increase especially you know in the coming years when there's going to be these fleets of autonomous vehicles just roaming around um and people just jump in and out you still have to protect children in those cars and uh those, that's going to need to be with, you know, compact, portable, quick and easy to use child restraints. That's what we're all about. Yeah, I can totally see that market. And I, and I agree. Uh, if you look at uh, Generation Z, um, how they, you know, how they use things. And uh, it, it's totally as you described. So uh, I think you've hit the nail on the head there and, I, and, I, and whilst you were talking i can sort of envisage how um public transport could be a, a another area of market growth um as uh, as safety increases on pl public transport um not that you know again corona sort of 
reducing that at the moment, but you know, fingers crossed, we're not going to be here forever uh, on in in the Corona pandemic, and so I can see how that could be an avenue as well. So yeah, that's good. So it, it, it's uh, the the regulations around uh, public transport uh, are, are quite different to cars, but just as as an example. In uh, in Southeast Asia, particularly in Singapore, uh, school buses tend to be you know, they're not big buses. They they tend to be mini buses or mid sized buses, and there's a seat belt on every seat. And the children going to school on buses have to use a booster seat. Again, you can't carry around big bulky booster seats. Singapore, I think it's only got a population of two million people, and it's tiny has been you know one of our most successful markets first of all because wow. there's this uh, need to uh, you know to for for children on school buses to use car seats but also it's one of the few countries in the world where the law is that children riding in taxis also need to use an appropriate car seat or child restraint there is a company in singapore called grab they are uber's biggest competitor in the world today uh, just in Singapore, they bought 40,000 MyFold seats so that every one of their cars has got a MyFold seat. And when a parent calls one of the cars on the app, they uh, they know that they're going to be able to get in and, and they've got a booster seat. In fact, they're wow. asking us to develop an infant seat, one of those for children aged zero to four with a five-point harness that's also compact and portable enough, you know, so that if they do have it in every one of their cars, it won't take up all the cabin space or all the baggage space. Um, so watch this space. Maybe in the next year or so, we could have a new product uh, coming out along those lines. I love it. Um, you, When we were talking about marketing spend, uh, one of the things that I assume is you also must uh, support your distributors with some marketing spend as well. So whilst we, whilst, whilst we, I was talking about Amazon, I was talking about, you know, yes, the majority is going to Amazon. And, and you said that that's because mm -hmm. you sales. But I, it goes without uh, saying that I'm sure you must support all different uh, areas of the business, especially distributors as well. We, we have a, a couple of, the first one is distributors buy our product at a price. And that price takes into account the fact that they do everything. They, they literally yeah. pick the product up at the factory gate. So they have to do the international shipment and the import and the logistics and the warehousing and the sales and the marketing and the after sales service and customer support and things like that. And so the price they pay reflects that they're taking on all of those tasks. And one of them is we expect them to do sales and marketing, but we do have programs. Um, we like to brand things uh, within the business. So we have the MyGrow program, MI Grow, as in my fold, MyGrow, which is that, you know, we were some, the distributors that work closely with us and work with us on developing their marketing plans and setting targets, we have, as part of that MyGrow plan, we contribute to their marketing costs. Um, you know, as long as it's against an agreed marketing plan and they make their investments. And that's uh, that's something that we introduced, you know, a couple of years into the business once we, you know, wanted to start focusing internationally. And it's something that's more important for us that we've got distributors that will work closely with us like that on best practice and working out, you know, the best way to spend the money. And those that do, uh, we're, we're happy to contribute you know, over and above the margin they get 
into their marketing programs. And the results absolutely have led to a growth of the business. So it all comes back eventually. Yeah, and and I can see how uh, valuable those strong relationships must be. Uh, so it so it so it makes perfect sense. This has been really interesting. Uh, we've come to the end of our time, John, uh, and uh, but very fascinating. I love the uh, the story, and and you know, for me, the highlights have been around how crowdfunding was your yeah. uh, marketing. You know that 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 was what made it happen uh in, in terms of reach and size and 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 speed i guess and and and, and as you say seeing all those sales just come in on one day <laughs> unbelievable um so john just to be uh clear if we are uh well, well two things first of all if we're interested in buying a uh, a car seat where should we go well, so in the UK, uh, I think the easiest is to go to amazon.co.uk and search for MyFold, M-I-F-O-L-D, or basically search for anything that resembles a MyFold, as I say, a compact car seat, we come up well, narrow car seat, three in a row car seats, because you can easily put three on the back seats of even the smallest cars, um, uh, or just Google, uh, you know, MyFold, and you'll find the other places and the other retail partners that are selling. Where do where do you hang out, if at all, on any social media platforms? Which is the platform you're you're typically on? Yeah, so I'm mostly on Facebook. Uh, I, I don't I don't really do Instagram other than just to check up on what my kids are doing, and and I don't really tweet. But um, uh, the majority of what I post on Facebook seems to be uh, business related. Um, but if people want, you know, to follow us as a business then MyFold is on Twitter and very active on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, Brilliant. Uh, th those, those are the places to find us. Lovely. Thank John, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's been thank brilliant you having, having you. Uh, and uh, it's been fascinating. Thanks for uh, joining us. And uh, we look forward to welcoming you again at another live Q&A in the future. That's bye-bye uh, from us. Bye-bye, John. See, see you soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to the Johnny Ross Audio Experience. Thanks so much for joining me. If you want to continue the conversation, head over to my website, fleet.marketing, or find me on LinkedIn. That's all for today. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, tag me in your social media posts, and please leave me a review on iTunes. It will make a huge difference for me. I will see you soon.